But what if this story is side by side so that you and I can be moved to say, does the resurrection of Jesus change us? Are we open and willing to be real and honest, not about who we think people want us to be, but about who we are? Are we a broken mess? Are we unsure that this resurrection actually matters? Are we not really sure if God's faithful to provide for today, yet alone whatever the stock market does tomorrow? Are we filled with all kinds of doubts and anxieties and fears? What if we could be real with all of that and honest and say, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know today my neighbor's hurting and I don't even know how to help. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. They were ordinary, unschooled men who had been with Jesus. That's what they noticed about Peter and John after Peter and John miraculously healed a man, not by their power, but in the name of Jesus. And when all the crowds were wondering what's happening, they began to share with boldness that this Jesus who had been crucified is risen. And this Jesus was bringing healing. And all the religious leaders got mad and arrested Peter and John and threw them in jail but had no charge against them. And so they were let loose with a threat. Don't do that anymore. As the other Adam shared last week when they were threatened for their faith, for preaching and teaching and doing what Jesus did, They didn't respond with prayers of God, take away all of these terrible people or fix all of this mess or make our fears go away. They responded by gathering together and praying, specifically for boldness. God, let us be bold enough to do what we need to do, no matter the consequence. And this prayer of boldness and this promise of the resurrection changed everything for the people of God. Today, as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, we get to a section that for a long time was one of my favorite, most extraordinary sections because it shows a community and a people of God living unlike anything I've ever experienced myself. But in this section of scripture we read, there's that little word, But if you read scripture or anything for that matter, and you're coming along and you're reading it and it's nice, and then you get to a but, just pause for a moment because everything before the but is just crap. And here's what I mean by that. The story is still really good. English, however, in Greek, the word but acts as a transition. That isn't the thing we're focusing on 
something else's. So when you're talking with somebody you love and you say something like, I really appreciate what you did the other day, but what you actually mean to say is, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. Whatever comes after the but, right? So here's this story of a community completely changed by the promise of the resurrection. But. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. There's the first but. They had everything in common. What does that mean? Were they a a people who all looked alike and dressed alike and talked alike and liked the same music and went to the same places and had the same hobbies? No. Not at all. In fact, if you remember Pentecost, these were people who spoke different languages, who came from all over the place. They weren't unified in their language or in their culture or in their current standing in life. In fact, the rich and the poor together were in one community, but they had everything in common. But nothing that separated them and made them different from one another mattered. They had everything in common. Continues. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. If you have been paying attention in Acts, maybe you've noticed that over and over and over again, the one thing that matters is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Is that so today? I mean, Easter was like three months ago. Is he still risen today? You see, we have heard the name of Jesus and the story of Jesus and all the things about Jesus so many times that I think most of the time it's just another story. Sometimes even hard to distinguish from the Netflix show we were watching or the news we were watching or the book we were reading. It just feels like one more good story. But the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. You see, for the early church, there had been lots of communities that were centered around faith and lots of people who believed in a really good God, even this same God, and lots of people who even believed this same God was coming and healing and doing miraculous things. But no other God had risen from the dead. No other man had died and come back to life as he had promised previously. This resurrection changed everything. You see, if death itself cannot stop you, what can? If you have been given this promise that the one you are serving has conquered death, what's left for him to conquer? The resurrection of Jesus changes everything because in his resurrection, there is the promise of the resurrection for all of us. And being 2,000 years removed, we often think of that promise as something in the future. Oh yeah, of course we're gonna die and then after death, that's when the resurrection happens and then it'll all be okay, don't worry. We'll go to heaven, we'll float on clouds, we'll eat all the calories that don't count and play all the golf, it'll be lovely. 
right? That's the picture we have of what's coming because of the resurrection. It's not the picture they had of the resurrection. They had Jesus in the flesh eating and drinking with them. They were holding his hands and seeing the nail holes, hearing him speak in the flesh before them, not as some distant future thing, as a here and now, right now. See, because this story has become so normal for us, we're often accused of using heaven as an escape from all of the problems right now. Right? Like, just ignore the mess around you or the injustice you see or ignore the problems that are too big for you to solve or just leave it be because it's fine. This isn't my home. Heaven's my home. I'm gonna leave it all behind and it doesn't matter. But what if precisely because of the resurrection, everything now matters? What if precisely because he came back in the flesh with a body to be held and to eat and drink, we have a totally different way of approaching life now? Continues. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Picture that. Picture just in this community, maybe 150 people here today. What if every one of us sold our houses and emptied our 401ks and got rid of our cars and all the stuff we've accumulated and what if we pooled our money in one pot so that everybody was taken care of? Could we do it? Could we be a community that cared for everybody wholly and fully? Could we be the kind of people, if we all pooled that kind of resource, who made a difference in our community by loving and caring radically? It gets more intense. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I don't own any fields. I do own a house with a, a lot, but beyond that, I, I don't own any fields. I've never been a farmer, though I, I lived on a chicken farm for a year, and that was weird. But... In an ag agrarian culture, owning a field was very different than it is today. See, if you're hungry, how do you get food? You probably take the money you got from your paycheck from working for somebody somewhere, doing something you maybe like or maybe don't. It doesn't really matter as long as you get paid at the end of the day. You took that money and you went to a grocery store or a restaurant or someplace where there's plenty of food and you paid them and then you got that food. And how many of you stopped to think about where that chicken came from or the eggs that you ate? If you had to butcher your own food, how many of you would become vegetarian? Or if you had to grow your own crops, you might have a new appreciation for the lettuce on your burger you'd otherwise throw away. But it's beyond this. You see, to own a field was a sign of not only 
provision for today, but provision for tomorrow. See, when a farmer plants a field, they're not anticipating eating the next day. They're planting now, believing that in several months of hard work, eventually, there will be food. And not only is there eventually going to be food, that crop they plant brings them the resources necessary to do it again next year. Land and fields was everything. See, without it, you had no means of providing for tomorrow, yet alone today. Without a field, you had no means of caring for every need for you and your children and your children's gener- children for generations to come. You were stuck daily trusting that God would provide for you. In fact, fields are so important that all the way back in the book of Leviticus, let's be honest, how many of you enjoy reading Leviticus in the morning? You wake up and you're like, I can't wait to read it. Anyone? Maybe you should. And here's why. Leviticus is filled with all of the laws about how God's people should be different from the rest of the world. How God's people should look and live and act in such a way that the whole world sees there's something unique about you. And among the laws, it includes how do you care for the poor and the needy? And how do you care for one another? And how do you care for the the one who's traveling in your midst or the sojourner, the one who comes from another land? How do you provide for each other that it'll go well with everybody? In Leviticus chapter 25, there's a section about the fields. If you've ever been in need and struggled to pay bills, maybe you've thought I could just sell a few things. Anybody in here ever make a few dollars on Facebook Marketplace? I love getting rid of junk, and my wife's really good at selling it. Uh, In fact, we love doing it so much that my kids now, ages seven and five, are regularly like, Dad, can we get rid of our stuff? Sure. And sometimes I actually like rein them back because they want to get rid of more stuff than I think they maybe should. I have two laundry baskets full of books they decided a few days ago, yeah, we don't read them, let's get rid of them. And now they want to take them to McKay's so they can get something different. And on the drive here this morning, Eden said, Dad, can I get rid of all of my stuffed animals except for like two? I was like, why? She said, because I don't ever play with them. Okay, we can do that. That's not my natural thing. But I, I like getting rid of things and making some money. But if you're really in a dire spot and you have to get rid of something, you're probably selling it for less than it's worth because you just are desperate for something now. And so in Leviticus chapter 25 and all of the laws, it talks about if somebody goes into debt or becomes poor and needs to sell their land, what do you do? And there's this one line here, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. God, he speaks to them and says, if somebody sells their land, here's the deal. Every 49 years, at the 50th year, you're going to take a year and give everybody their stuff back. So imagine if next year was the 50th year, you've got to return the house you just purchased or the car that you purchased or the field that you purchased. Why? So that nobody was permanently without as a means of always providing for his people and for those who came to become his people. God said, you will always get your land back eventually. 
And so they would calculate the worth of the land based on how many years until the year of Jubilee. That was what that year was called. And so if it was just after, let's say last year was that year, okay, we have 49 years that you're going to earn money on this land, so I'm going to get paid for approximately 49 years worth of living. But here's the deal about land. Anybody know that storms happen? If you don't own a farm or have never been on a farm, do you know that storms destroy crops? And sometimes crops are way better than you expected, and sometimes they're way worse. So in the negotiating of the land, it wasn't just the 49 years, there was also this sense of 49 years, but it's kind of been a dry season lately, so maybe it's not worth so much. Uh, We might have some big storms, so you should probably take a little bit more off that price too. And so for somebody to sell their land was to say, right now my needs are so great that I have to give all of the next 49 or 50 years of my income up to take care of me today. Can you picture being in that sort of a desperate spot? I'm going to give up all of my life savings, my 401k, all of my planning, everything I have just in the hopes of making it today. See, selling your field was not a thing you would do by choice. And yet we see this story where they had everything in common, nothing was their own, there was not a needy person among them, and there's this story of a man named Joseph, also called Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who sees the need before him and says, it's worth selling my field. All of my future and my children's future, it's worth it. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything for the people of God. Is his resurrection worth giving up everything? I've heard this story dozens of times, often preached as a means to say, what are you giving to the church? You should give more to the church. Don't worry, that's not today. Because there's a but. But... Here's a story of a man who gave up everything for the need of the resurrection of Jesus. That people might hear and that the community might be together. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's Barnabas. He sells everything, gives up his future and his inheritance, his children's children's future. He gives it all up and says, the need before me is worth everything. But here's this husband and wife who do the same thing. They sell a piece of property, but agree to just give some to the church, to the needs of the people. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, some people hear this and say that the problem was that he was greedy and selfish and didn't give everything up. 
But read what comes next. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Look, you didn't have to sell it. Nobody was forcing you to. You didn't have to turn it over to somebody else. And then not only this, he goes a step further. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Like you had every right with the money you earned to do whatever you chose. See, sometimes in our culture, we read things about money in the Bible and we think that money is evil. That is not what the Bible says. Money is amoral. It doesn't care good or bad. What you do with that money may be good or bad, but the money itself is not. Now, it does say that the root of all evil is the love of money, but money itself is not a problem. Peter says, look, before you sold it, you could do whatever you pleased. Who cared? You weren't forced to or obligated to or required to. And even after you sold it, you could do whatever you want. The money was still yours. But you've chosen to lie about it instead. You've chosen to lie and be deceptive and dishonest. And that is the problem. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. In great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Picture this story. Barnabas sees the need and says, here's everything I have so that this promise of the resurrection can be boldly proclaimed in the face of fear, so that all who have need can be cared for. Here's this couple that says, here's all that we have, so that it looks like we've got it all together and we're doing the right thing. And upon the words of Peter calling him out, he drops dead, just like that. Thankfully, that's never happened in my preaching, and I hope that stays that way. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Just like casually, like, hey, how much did you sell that land for? Was this the amount? I just wonder what Peter was thinking when he asked this. And of course, they had contrived this lie together. And so... She says, yes, for so much. Look what happens to her. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of those things. Could you imagine you come back from burying one of your fellow church members only to see his wife dead? At some point, you'd be like, Peter, what are you up to? This, this isn't so good, Peter. But I love that in Acts, these stories are side by side. See, this first story of Barnabas selling everything and all the people having everything in common is really, really encouraging. What if we could be that kind of people? 
and said, I have a spare bedroom. I know rent is high. Come live with me. I'm not going to charge you rent. Get back on your feet. Figure it out. We'll help you together. What if we could be this kind of people who rather than protesting or picketing or trying to change the law about whatever we think injustice is, what if we simply opened up our hearts and our wallets and our futures? Said, we'll just simply do what we need to do for the sake of justice. What if we were this? But how often are we instead something else? It's not that we're withholding our finances that killed these two people. It's this problem that I think plagues us still to this day. We need to give the appearance of being someone and something we're not without being real about who we are or God has moved us to do. See, what if this story is side by side, not so that we can be moved to give everything, though you certainly could be moved to that. But what if this story is side by side so that you and I can be moved to say, does the resurrection of Jesus change us? Are we open and willing to be real and honest, not about who we think people want us to be, but about who we are? Are we a broken mess? Are we unsure that this resurrection actually matters? Are we not really sure if God's faithful to provide for today, yet alone whatever the stock market does tomorrow? Are we filled with all kinds of doubts and anxieties and fears? What if we could be real with all of that and honest and say, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know today my neighbor's hurting and I don't even know how to help. What, what if we could see these two stories to teach us Maybe the most important thing the resurrection changes is that we don't have to be somebody we're not. We can just be who God made us to be. And if that's a work in progress and you're not yet who you want to be, that's okay. Be a work in progress. But don't act like you've got it all together when you don't. I believe that when we become more of who we are, and we begin to progress towards who we want to be, openly and honestly through all of the mess and all of the pain and even all of the hardships of saying, I know that I could do more, I just don't want to. I believe that when we do that, we will wholly become the people who have no need, who look at one another and say, we care and we'll provide I don't know how, we'll figure it out. And in this, the resurrection will change how the world around us sees you and me and the church and Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for Barnabas, for his generosity in selling everything. God, I want to be like him, seeing the need before us, how your resurrection changes everything, and I want to be willing to give it all up. But I confess that often I'm not. 
I'm afraid of what I'll lose. I'm greedy and I'm selfish. I'm concerned with the cost of following you. God, we confess that we need to start by learning to be real. Really honest with ourselves and really honest with each other and really honest with you. We are not yet who we want to be, but you are more than enough. Would you change our hearts and change our minds that as we're real with who we are not yet, we can slowly become who you've made us to be, wholly yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Uh, I don't expect any of you to empty out your 401ks. Um, That's a joke, you can laugh. When pastors talk about money, people get awkward. Pastors get awkward, let's just move forward, okay. If you came prepared to give today, we believe giving is an opportunity to partner with what God is doing. And so if you came prepared to give with cash or check, you can give in the popcorn bucket in the back corner as you leave. Um, Also, if you have one of those connect cards in front of you, if you filled it out with your information that we can contact you or with a prayer request, you can put that in the card or in the, the bucket as well. If you came prepared to give and you would like to make a gift online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. So every week we welcome your questions and you can text them in. In Roger's case, he just wanted to ask one. He said, hey, there's a whole group here in red shirts that are matching. Uh, Did I miss the memo? Uh, Yeah, Roger. If you want to take a few days off this week, actually, this group is going to be here, uh, not just at the point, but around Knoxville and Oak Ridge. They're doing a lot of service projects this week, and they're going to be giving us three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, like the whole day to spread mulch and pull weeds and pressure wash and a whole bunch of other fun things. Well, so, just because they're doing some for us, but just in general. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're glad you guys are here. Thank you. And like I said, it's not just for us. They're doing it in a lot of places, which is even cooler. So, uh, Amanda, what questions came in today that I can do my best to stumble over? Yeah, we got quite a few. And one of them was about the red shirt. So pregame, done. Got it. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, So the first actually came a little bit after the service last week. But it says, do the philosophies of Stoicism conflict with following Christ? So, uh, as some of you may know, you're a lot smarter than me, so I had to look up what the philosophies of Stoicism were. Uh, I know I learned it in seminary, but I forgot pretty much everything Greek and stuff. Uh, So Stoicism was this idea that uh, virtue and doing good things comes from direct knowledge of the divine or some kind of uh, superior wisdom that helps us be a better person. Does it conflict with Christianity? Was that what was asked? I went to the next one. Um, it says, duh, 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 duh. Literally there must be a lot so of questions. questions. They, oh, no. We have like nine or ten. Um, so, yeah, the philosophies of Stoicism conflict with following Christ. Does it conflict with following Christ? Well, there's certainly in following Christ some benefit to saying virtue is good. And certainly as you grow in wisdom, you're going to grow in virtue. So that's not conflicting. Uh, Now, where it could go conflicting is they saw this general universal wisdom and truth that was like 
all people and all conscious across all time, and that's not really what we believe. Uh, God is not part of the universe, he's beyond it, and he's not like a general consciousness of people, but something more. So it may, it may not. I don't know what specific part of stoicism you're wrestling with. If you want to grab coffee, I'll gladly sit down and you can educate me and then we can have a conversation. How's that sound? Awesome. All right, number two. Why would Satan send you to hell for eternity for disobeying the same God he disobeyed? Well, first off, Satan doesn't send anybody to hell. I don't know if you know this. Satan is not the ruler of hell. We often picture him with a like pitchfork ruling hell. He's not. That's his prison. And if you read in Matthew, I think it's 24, maybe it's 25, uh, where Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, it actually says that hell was created for the devil and his demons. And God never desired for any of us to end up there. Um, so Satan is not sending anybody there. Instead, he comes like a thief to steal, kill, and destroy. It's his goal and his ambition to take with him as many people as possible. If I'm going to suffer, I want you to as well. And he wants to drag every one of us down. Um, but thankfully, God is gracious and good and has rescued us from death and the devil. Amen. Um, the next one says, who does God say we are? Who does God say we are? Um, he says that when we're baptized, we are a child of God. He says that we have been called sons by adoption. He says that we are heirs with Christ, meaning we will inherit all that Jesus will inherit as well. Um, we are his created um, children made in his image. There's a whole host of things there. That's just a few. If you're wrestling with your identity, wondering who are you or what does God say about you, again, I would love to just sit down and encourage you with a whole lot of scripture that says you're loved a lot, I promise. Yes. Okay, I might butcher this word, so y'all just, you know, grace. Great, what, big words. Uh -oh. What is the firmament according to the word, and what is its relationship to us, the earth and its shape and outer space? Whew. So uh, if you don't have a clue what that question was saying, that's okay. Uh, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, God separates the heavens and the earth and uses the word firmament in some translations. Um, what is it? I don't know. Uh, basically, in the beginning, God created all things, and in, in the creation of all things, that even means making space. And so the space that we think is empty and void outside of the earth until you get to the next star or planet or something else, even that space is something God created. It's not just an accidental void that he filled with some random stars. And so the firmament, in some sense, all the things that we can't see or don't know that are there in the void and in the space. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I've never even heard that word. And I like to read people. I'm, that was fun. When we say you can ask questions, we mean it. And there's a lot of times you prove that you're smarter than me, so thank you. Yes. Uh, but one says, who's the new singer? He sounds great. Yes. Uh, Thanks, Jesse. Where is he at? There he is. That is Jesse. Um, he is amazing and shameless plug. If you are interested in serving at all, come talk to me. Um, we have great people with great hearts, and we'd love to have you on a team. Yeah. Next question is... Um, how do we understand or reconcile what we read today with society's constant push to plan ahead, i.e. the five-year plan, um, they almost seem to oppose one another? 
Yeah, I think throughout scripture we see some conflicting ideas that aren't conflicting, but they are certainly complicated. And that is that God has given us wisdom to plan and it's responsible to care for the future. And we have to use that wisdom and that responsibility um, to make sure that our children and our children's children and the people around us are provided for. Because if you have nothing to eat with, it's hard to provide for somebody else who has nothing to eat. And so that's the one hand and the other hand is Every single thing we have, even the very breath right now, comes from God. And so we have to be careful to not allow our planning to become our God, to not allow our endeavors to become the thing we're trusting in. Instead, we trust that in all things, it's from him. And should you be so moved to liquidate everything and give it all away, I promise our God is faithful and good and will provide. Uh, I promise. I've seen it. I've, see, I've seen several people who have done that. They've sold everything and drained 401ks, and they're living day to day, and God is providing miraculously. So He can and He does if that's what He's leading you to. If you don't feel that's what He's leading to you to, then plan ahead, be responsible, and be as generous as you possibly can. Okay? Awesome. Yeah. Um, we had somebody ask about resources and assistance in the community. If you just come and talk to us, we would be happy to give you a list of that. Um, we have a lot of great knowledge and great partners there. Yeah, there are tons and tons of resources in the community. And I'll, I'll speak just briefly. It's tempting to see somebody in need and assume the solution to the problem is money. Um, but most of the time, the solution is much more complicated than that. And we, thankfully, are in a neighborhood that has so many organizations and resources with expertise and skills and knowledge that go far beyond money and also have money available. So we can help connect you with those places to get exactly what you need. All right? All right, last question. It says, can we do more to save the lives of the 60 billion animals that die every year for our greed? Yeah. Um, that last little bit for our greed seems to imply that there's something wrong with eating animals. Um, if you choose to not eat animals, that's okay. There's nothing unscriptural that says you can't. At the same time, it's not unscriptural for you to eat animals. In fact, God gives animals to us to eat, and Jesus himself ate animals. Now, are there things unjust about our system? Having lived on a chicken farm, these were free-range chickens that were truly free-range, and they like wandered the yard and ran up to the car, and there were several hundred of them. It was, like I said, it was weird. Um, but many of our meat uh, farmers and, and ranchers, it's not that way. And so there are systems of injustice where animals are treated with cruelty or in confinement in such a way that they're never allowed to move or in confinement in such a way that there's lots of disease that spreads. And certainly, we as Christians have a responsibility, whether you eat meat or don't, to say, hey, caring for God's good creation matters. And if our practices of eating meat are being done in such a way that are not caring for creation, we should rethink our practices and encourage changing that. So, yeah. One came in just, just on the fly here. Cool. And it just is a comment that says, I feel like today's sermon could have been a nice plug for FPU. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you need some help with your finances, trying to get yourself together, we love offering Financial Peace University here. If you're not familiar with that class, it's a nine-week class that will help you take control of your finances and learn how to break the cycle of debt and poverty. Uh, many of us living paycheck to paycheck don't even realize we're in poverty because, well, we have all of our bills paid. 
Um, so if you are in that place and you need help, we will gladly help you. In fact, we, every time we offer the class, we offer a 100% rebate if you attend the whole class. Because we don't want money to be the reason you don't learn how to han man manage your money, all right? So if that's you and you need help, yeah, absolutely. We don't have one scheduled, but I'll get you one scheduled as, as soon as we can. So. And it is awesome. It helped me realize I have a problem with Starbucks. It's very expensive. My problem so. was Taco Bell. A lot of Taco Bell. It, yeah. was, it was tough. It was a tough lesson. That's, <laughs> That's all it. of them? That's it. Well, awesome. As always, every week you're welcome to text in a question. And if there's something you would like to talk about that you didn't text in, I'll be available. I'd love to talk with you either today or later in the week or at your convenience. Um, before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.